God, we love you. Once again, we are so grateful to come into your presence. We are grateful that you have gathered us today for, for just a lot of your word. And God, as always, I, our prayer this morning is that your word meets us where we are. Some of what we talk about today may be completely foreign to some listeners. Some of what we talk about today may be the tenth time they've heard it, and it's an encouragement to take that next step. Wherever we are, God, I ask that your word, which is alive and active, that it spurs us on this morning to become more like Jesus. Speak to us now. May we hear directly from you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so for the next two months, just to let you know, man, we're going to be discipleship heavy. Uh, the emphasis for, for part of that preaching and teaching through will be on the roadblocks. Hey, hey what are the things that are, are there that are keeping us from taking that step of following Jesus and doing ministry the way he did it? We've been talking about that for years now. We, 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 we teach and we teach and we teach and we talk a lot about discipleship. And, and there's a lot of roadblocks out there. And so for the next three or four weeks past today, we're, we're going we're gonna to dive into those roadblocks. We're going to talk about do we understand this is what the disciples heard on that mountain when Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. Because we have to understand the very thing that they understood. Jesus didn't come just to die on the cross. And I, and I know the way I say that, it sounds like I'm minimizing that. I'm not. That was a major deal. But John chapter 17, man, he prayed this prayer. And you can, you can study it however you want. When you study it, he is thanking God for completing the mission already. And he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. And that mission is to show humanity how to do ministry. The most effective way of advancing the kingdom. Not, not increasing the kingdom, but advancing the kingdom. And so we're going to talk a lot about these roadblocks that keep us from taking those steps of obedience. You, like me, have probably grown up in a church, you've been involved in churches in, 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 in the past for me 40 plus years now, that the culture of the church, the environment of the church, everything at the church revolved around programs at the church. And in those decades, what's interesting to me, there were fewer distractions. There were distractions back in the 80s. Okay, but, but there were fewer distractions back in the 80s. We didn't have these things, that these rectangle devices that are in our pockets. They're everywhere we go. We didn't have travel league this and travel league that. And it was just a simpler day and age. There were fewer distractions. And so the method of y'all come here, y'all do stuff here, it worked. And you could see the fruit of it. Culture has drastically changed. And the one thing that will always remain the same is the promises found in the Word of God. And so as culture 
shifts and culture changes, if we are true to God's word, if we are living it out, it's going to be successful. And so as society shifted in its social views as to what is acceptable and, and what is not, the larger churches kind of are the ones that are considered to be successful. My, my own journey of faith, part of the reason I'm in the ministry is because I went to a larger church in Louisville, Kentucky for a leadership conference one day, and, and, or one weekend, and, and, and I was there with a group. I was, I was a manager at UPS and living life. I mean, we loved life back then. No kids, had money, right? And we're just doing our thing. And I go to this leadership conference, and I'm literally hit over, not literally hit over the head, I am hit over the head by God saying, I want you to go do these things. That happened at a large church, and, and it was considered to be successful. And so you know what all the other people did? All the ministers across all denominations, they want to know, how come you've got 15,000 people coming to your church? And how can I get some of that pie? How can I get thousands of people coming to my church? And here's the thing. I don't think this was, this, this was ever meant to be. But success in American Christianity on the corporate level came down to numbers. Because it's easy. Numbers are easy. We could talk about success. How many people did y'all baptize last year? Ooh, some. Ooh, ooh, man. How many people do you have coming to church on Sundays? Oh, it's impressive. What is your budget? I want y'all to know, I, I, I met a friend in Nashville the other day, and, and he's like, Michael, you're not going to believe this. I just left a meeting with a minister. I'm like, man, I wish I'd done that. He goes, last year, 2023, they had a surplus of $8 million. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I can't, I can't even fathom. And you know what? We look at that, and we're like, bada boom, bada bing, successful. Let's do what they are doing. And, and so successful ministry, successful churches are, are based on those things in our society. The number of people who are coming to the Lord, good thing. The number of people coming to church on Sundays, good thing. And the number of dollars that are given, good thing. But somewhere along the way, that's what it became about. And I truly believe God cares about numbers. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. But what God really cares about is the how and the why behind those things being achieved. That is what really matters to God. How are you growing numerically? Why are, is your giving so generous? So the church, church, was created by God to carry out the mission that Jesus came and modeled for us. That's what we're to do. We're to carry out the mission that Jesus came and modeled for us. And that mission to take average men, to take average lay people with different personalities, different skill sets, different levels of education, and bring these people together. And Jesus brought these men together. And they spent time together every day for the sole purpose of following Jesus so that they could learn to be just like him. 
And I encourage you, not now, but this afternoon. We don't have any football on today, so you got nothing to watch on TV. This afternoon, go and just start Googling the rabbinical system and, and all the requirements to be a disciple and what the expectations of the disciple was. It was to become just like their rabbi. And there's historical evidence that disciples would literally watch the rabbi sleep. Is he get in the fetal position? Is he lay on his back? Is he a stomach guy? Is he coddling the pillow like this? How's he sleeping? And I'm going to watch him, and I'm going to sleep just like him. There, there's historical evidence that said, how do you eat? Now, traditionally, most people had a clean hand and an unclean hand, and that's just how it went down. How did he do everything? And, 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 and we want to follow so close, Ray Vanderlyn says, that there's so much evidence to this, that the dust from his sandals when he's walking settles on me. That's how closely I am following. And so after three years of Jesus discipling these men, and they're ready to carry on his mission. You're going to hear this phrase a lot over the course of the next few weeks. And I believe it. That God uses everyday people to reach and train everyday people. It's not about the sage on the stage. God has always used everyday people to advance the kingdom. Not expand it, but to advance the kingdom. And he's done it with average, ordinary people. So let me ask you a fundamental question this morning. What does God desire for you? Like, like if you had a pen and paper right now and you were thinking about this and you were going to write this down. You know, like what, what, what is it in my life, with my family situation, with my financial situation, with my work situation, my kids' situation, all the stuff that's going on, what is it that God desires for me right now? I want you to think about this from a parent's perspective, if you will. God being the parent. And God okayed his son taking off the robe of glory and to put on flesh, and to step out of the splendor of heaven and come to earth to live with us. God okayed this. And we're like, yes, but here's the problem. We are a sinful nature. And the very character and being of God is perfect across all phases of his existence. And I know that's not a big deal to us because we're on the sinful nature side, but it was a huge deal for Jesus to step out of all things perfect in heaven and come to earth where there is so much sin. So there's a lot of conflict in there that we just don't fully grasp. Jesus came out of heaven. The son lived for a period of time. And then he dies in your place, in my place, so that we will not have to worry about eternal punishment. And by God's grace, somewhere along the way, maybe it's your grandparents drug you to a VBS. Maybe you just grew up in a Christian home. Somewhere along the way, by God's amazing grace, you heard the message of God's saving grace. 
You were convicted. You were convicted to your soul. Now, I, 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 I was reminded of this this week. It was eight years ago. Right here. Back then we had two services. Just finished up the service. The first service, standing out there, greeting some people. And my son walks up to me, Dad, I need to talk to you. Kind of busy. Got people around. Now I really need to talk to you. And here's the beautiful thing about being the minister's son. Like, you can just jump straight to the front of the line. You don't have to wait your turn. And so I'm like, all right, let's go in here. And I didn't even think it would be a good sermon that day. And he's like, man, I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. Something in that moment of time, he was convicted You've been there before. You've been convicted to the soul to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And you're here today because of this faith. You are here today because, because you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And the New Testament pattern is that we are to gather together as, 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 as congregations. The church, the ecclesia, the gathering of the saints. We, we are to gather together. And, and, and you, as a follower of Jesus, you are to live out the remaining days of your life on earth as a Christ follower. And your Father in heaven says, yes, that's what I want you to do. But let's break that down. What does God desire for you who acknowledges that his son died on the cross for you? What's he desire? Is it to come to church 2.1 times per month? Is that, is that what he desires? Are we checking boxes there? Nailed it. Is it to participate in some church activities? If I like them. You know, I mean, y'all got that old-time religion thing. Man, I just don't even like hymns. I don't even like old-time religion stuff. I just want to stick to the new stuff, so I'll catch y'all next time. Is that what God desires? Does God desire for you to love selective other people? You know, the ones that aren't so difficult to love? Is it just to treat other people with kindness? Tithe? What's God desire? To share the gospel with other people? Is that what he desires? To serve? to worship him, to celebrate him. I mean, we could go on and on and on with the list. Summarize all those answers. None of them are bad. Summarize all these answers that we can come up with. When you, when we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, when Jesus becomes not only my Savior, but my Lord, from that point on, God desires that you mature in your faith. Now, we love new life. We, we, we love it, and, and, and certainly... You know, I mean, I've, 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 I've seen what grandchildren does to some of y'all, okay? But even as parents, you know, you, you've got this new life, 
and it's so sweet, and it's innocent, and it smells so good and cute and cuddly, and it's just there, and it's helpless, and you have to do everything for it, and, and you, you don't care. You don't mind. You, 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 and man, some of you mamas are just rock stars, man. You will work through the night, and you will get up, and you will take care of that little baby, and, and man, it's just like, oh, it's the sweetest little thing. It's an amazing miracle of God. But none of us, in our right mind, wants that little thing to stay that little. Now, there's moments in time when they're 14, okay, and, and you ask them, are you going to have this attitude if you come with us? And they say, most likely, then you know what? You're like, gosh, the good old days. <laughs> but, but none of us in our right mind wants that baby and expects that baby to sit there like that. We want that baby to grow up, to be healthy. And, and in our Western mind, in our Western culture over here, we want this child to grow up, to be healthy, and to be a contributing member of society. Please don't be a burden on anybody else. That's what we want. Go out there, pay your taxes. As I draw closer to retirement, pay your Social Security. You, you go do your thing. Don't be a burden on society. We, we want them to grow. And we want them to mature. And Jesus is like, no matter how old you are physically, that when you surrendered your life to Christ, when you were buried, and you came up out of that water, a, a new believer, you're an infant. God's like, I don't want you to be an infant forever. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. And so that's what he desires. Now, I want you to hear me. Please, please hear me. I am in no way suggesting that God desires for you, for us, to work out our salvation. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Okay, I, I, I'm not saying that, that we, we have to be obedient to earn our way into eternal life. That's not what I'm saying. We are saved by his grace. And, and he tells us, man, we, all we have to do is believe. Now, that word believe, pastuo, packs a punch. And it doesn't mean just an intellectual, oh, yeah, I believe. I believe those things are blue, right? Like, no, 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 no. It, this word pastuo requires something. But you're not earning your salvation. You're not working for eternal life. So for most of us, we have days to live on this earth. And God loves all people. He loves us all. Not just the ones who vote like you. We, we have days to live. We don't know if it ends today. We don't know if it ends whenever. We have days to live. What do we do with our time? Well, Paul told the church at Ephesus, this isn't going to come up on the screen, but let me just kind of summarize this. This is what he warns that church with. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Like, that's the phrase. Making the most of every opportunity. 
because the days are evil. Y'all ever have those days where, man, you wake up and you've got this agenda and you're going to set out on this agenda and before you look up, man, the day is over and you just didn't get it done? Of course you did. You're human. We've all had those days. Paul's telling us, man, these days are evil and they're full of distractions. Therefore, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so we have time on earth, church. doesn't matter what your past has been. doesn't matter what you did yesterday. doesn't matter anything else. Right now, moving forward, walking out of this do these doors, we have time left. What does God want us to do with the time? And here's the thing. Here's the short answer. Our time should be spent on what matters most to God. And so spiritual maturity, that's the goal. Part A of his plan of reconciliation is to save you from the sin, from the mess that you are in, and bring you into a relationship with him. That's part A. Part B, then, is for you to mature as a believer. Spiritual maturity is the goal for all Christ-like followers with the time that we have left. Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. And we're going to be covering a lot of Scripture moving forward, just so you know. As a matter of fact, there's a long list up there. Um, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. You can write these down and come back to them if you want. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, we're not going to expound upon this passage. This is a great passage to teach through, but we're not going to teach through all of it today. Here's what's happening. The author is addressing, think about this. Now, you think about this in your context, too. The author is addressing this desire to go back to what we used to do because that is what we are familiar with. This letter is addressed to Hebrews, they're Jewish, God-fearing Jews who have embraced the Messiah. But now the Messiah has returned to his throne. And the Christian movement has spread and it's facing extreme persecution. There's a lot of uncertainty within the new church idea. And so what do these Jewish Christians do? They wanted to return to what was comfortable to them. That, 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 that's, that's the laying again foundations. And, and, and so the author is telling us, go on to maturity. That's the desire. That's God's desire for your life. Colossians 1, 28-29. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's a letter written to a small church. They're dealing with some false teachers. Hey, you got to have a little bit more Christ wasn't all that. Paul's like, oh, uh-uh. I'll, I'll take care of that. And so he writes this letter. And the first part of this letter offers a beautiful prayer. And then it gets into the supremacy of Christ. And Paul wraps up this section 
about the supremacy of Christ with, with, with this focus. We warn everyone. We proclaim him. We are warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's waking up today, and he's going about his day, and he is warning everyone. He is teaching everyone with all wisdom that he may present these people mature in Christ. Not to get political, we've gotten a little political today, but not to get political. You want to change America back to the Christian society that it was in the 40s and the 50s? I know some, only a few of y'all were around back then. The 60s? Quit worrying as much about your child's success in academics and all the extracurriculars that they are involved in and start training them to be sold-out followers of Jesus. I mean, if every parent and grandparent do this within the households, with just within the Christian households in this country, it would drastically change. I'm about to get on soapbox, just so you know. Do you care more about your child being able to catch a pop fly by the time they are seven years old, then they are maturing in Christ. Well, none of us in this room are going to sit here and say, absolutely not. Maturity in Christ is the most important thing. What effort this week, what conversations have you made with your kids, with your grandkids, about maturing in Christ? How many hours have spent studying, and I'm not against studying, how many hours have been spent practicing, how many hours have been spent going to and from, how many hours have been spent impressing upon them who Jesus is and the love that they are to have? Do you care more that they are the best student, the highest marks in their class, or that they are mature in Christ. Every parent loves accolades for their children. Every parent, all of us do. I loved it when, when they would get leadership awards. Man, you get most improved on the team. Best free throw shooter. Hey, that one was earned, baby. I'm just telling you right now. I just... <laughs> You had to do the deal there. National Honor Society. We can go on and on and on. You, your, your kids have received all kinds of accolades. Man, we love the accolades. We love to show up when, when our kids are being put up there on stage in front of everybody else and we clap for them. And you see what my kid did. You see what my child did. Be honest with yourself. Do you care more about those things? Do you care more about the fact they went three for three than, than, than that they're maturing in Christ? Man, this letter is written to a church, and I'm telling you right now, I, I, I get a lot of feedback about culture and what other churches do and what we do and a lot of conversations. 
I mean, this letter is written to a church and specifically to church leadership. And you look at verse 29. Man, look at the look at the emphasis of those words. And this is Paul instructing this church. For this very reason I toil. What's the reason? That I may present everyone mature in Christ. For this reason I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I was like, man, I strain to do this. I'm doing everything in my capabilities through the power that he has given to me to present this church at Colossae, that's who he's writing to, mature in Christ. I want to stand in heaven when y'all get there and you're going through. And I want God, the judge, I want, I want him to look over and say, hey, did you present these people mature in Christ? I've tried my best. I toiled. I strained. I struggled with all his energy. Y'all know what it is to toil, right? To strain. I mean, y'all have been there. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something you, you, you had some manual thing that you, that, that you had to do. I mean, you had to put a little grunt into it. You had to put a little, man, I hope I don't have a hernia pop into it. It comes with age. The rest of you will get there. I mean, you, you've, you've had to do something where you, you strained and you struggled. Paul's like, yeah, y'all are doing that in your life. Um, I'm doing it with people. Is life bridge straining with all our effort to present others mature in Christ? That's a burden. Man, this past week, Caleb and Jessica were in the office, and Jessica, if you don't know, she works as a travel agent. And so she does a lot of stuff with the Universal Studios and the um, uh, Disney World Industries. And so last week, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, she had to take a trip down to Universal Studios. There's all this training and this conference and stuff, but there's, like, some big Christian, like, concert series that goes through two or three nights. I'm not sure exactly how it was, but but like she participated in it and she's sending Amanda Disciples Jessica and so she's sending her pictures and all this kind of stuff of who's there and, and all the cool stuff and everything and Jessica comes back, man, she's on cloud nine she's like, oh my gosh, she's like, hey we gotta take our kids there we, 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 we gotta we gotta load them up and we gotta, we gotta get them down there, they need to experience this and, and, and the curmudgeon in me Right, and I'm not a curmudgeon, but it just comes across as a curmudgeon because of conviction like this right here. It says, no, what we really need is all our kids being in discipling relationships with more mature believers. That's what we really need. Are you discipling somebody? Just deflated that idea out the way. And, and here's the thing, church. Like, like all the stuff, I'm not anti-conference, I'm not anti-concert, I'm not anti-any of those things. I'm not anti-funsies. I'm not, I'm not any of that stuff. I love fun. But are we straining? Are we toiling? 
Are we making every effort to present other people mature in Christ? I'm telling you, I, 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 I wrestle with how much has, have we, and I can only be concerned with the we, but how much has this local congregation embraced American Christianity and what proves to be successful versus the Bible? And there's a priority list, and it all comes and works together. Because let me tell you, it's easy to be about the flashing lights and the, the fog machines and all that other stuff. It's easy to become about that. And I'm not anti those things. But this has to be the thing that we are focused on the most. So that's our vision. It's our goal for every member of this congregation, and we phrase it like this, becoming like Jesus. And I'm not going to get into the history of this particular phrase. But that's what we care about. That's what when we sit around in leadership team meetings and we talk about events and we talk about ideas, we ask the question, how, how is this helping our people love one another better so that we can become like Jesus? they're a riot, you should come to one. <laughs> and this is just another way of saying, y'all need to mature in your faith. Becoming like Jesus is what matters here. Do we want you to come every Sunday? Yes. Do we want you to give on a regular basis? Lots of it. Do we want you to be involved? We don't want just want you to be involved. We want you to want to be involved. We want you to see that, oh my gosh, we're having an old-time religion night of worship. I can't wait to be there with all my brothers and sisters. That's what we want. Not just for you to show up, but we want you to want to be here. Do we want you to take mission trips? Absolutely we do. The more the merrier. Come on. Those things are wonderful markers of growth. However, they are not what we are most consumed with. You, in your personal journey with God, you becoming like Jesus in all aspects of your life is what matters. Where you work and how you work and how you treat the other people at work, that is the stuff that matters. And here's the reality. I can stand up and I can preach it. We're about to read a bunch of scripture verses, just so you know. Here's the reality. This is on you. We can come alongside, we're supposed to. But you are the only one who can come to the place where you desire for your life to be a reflection of Jesus. As you become like him, you reflect him. And it's on you and you only. Uh, we could teach till we're blue in the face. We could, we could read scripture till you're blue in the face. It is on you. And so as we close out, man, I want to share with you some New Testament evidence that this is what God desires for your life. Because after all, the power is nothing that I say. The power is in 
the Word of God. And so there's going to come, we're just going to read through, I might talk through one or two of these, but we're just going to read through. We're almost done, I promise. Okay? You can write down the reference, go back and check them. Now, you're going to see that most of these are in the New Living Translation. Okay? Um, and, and that's because of translation. You, 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 we're not going to get into the whole, the whole deal, okay? But, but translation, you got the King James, you got the ESV. They are more literal word for word. And as you kind of go down the line, the NIV, the NCV, the NLT, they start to capture thoughts, okay? Um, the NIV, the ESV, the King James, it, it's, it's, I've, and I've studied it. I'm not just saying that. I've studied it. They say the same thing. They just don't use the exact phrase, becoming like Jesus. And not all these do anyway, but they still point to the same thing. So Luke 6.40, this is out, straight out of Jesus' words. Students are out of his mouth. Students are not greater than their teacher. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. Right? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is what fully trained, what will happen? Will become like the teacher. our job to fully train so that we may become like the teacher and that's almost intimidating when you think about it. you're like me forget who he chose Colossians 3:10. put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn learn so th there's a there's a head part of this you have to learn you have to have knowledge be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So all of us who have had that veil removed that can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And I, and I know that the easy thing to do is say, well, I'll just sit here and let him change me into his glorious image. You have a part to play. You got to want it. I could put up a wall. Now God can certainly do work his thing and make me want to want to do it. Kind of takes away free will. He doesn't do that a whole lot. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You're created to be like him. He wants you to become like him. And, and part of this is, gosh, I wish I could teach on this, letting the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Romans 8, 29, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. That's not, that's not saying that Jesus, God just chose a couple of them you know, some of us, way we, we made the cut, the rest of them. No, no, no. Everybody has an invite to come to a relationship with the Lord. But here's the thing. Here's the truth. Some people aren't going to do it. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You made the decision. You had a response in your heart to say, God, I need you. And out of that, he chose you to become like his son. 
And then Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's not a one and done thing. It's not a learn so many Bible verses and I'm there. It's not a, a, hey, I sat in church so many hours. I'm there. I'm this age. I'm there. This this progressive sanctification, which is the Bible word of becoming like him, it's this ongoing thing. While you are physically and mentally able to do it, you, you are to be transitioning, you're to be transforming into his likeness. And when are you complete? Not this side of heaven. Not this side of coming into the presence of Jesus on the day he returns. That's when we become complete. Until now and then, you don't have an excuse, church. You don't get to say, well, man, I've been a Christian for 78 years. I've done my time. It's not how it works. There is still this expectation that with your capabilities at your age, where you are, that you're still striving to become like him. So, how do we become like Jesus? That's the, the, the million-dollar question. Well, just like Jeopardy, we gave the answer first. That was last week. Okay? Go back and listen to last week if you weren't here. You want to know how to do it? Last week, we gave you the answer. But it's this. You commit to loving God and loving people in relationship. When I love people the way Jesus loved people, I become like him. As I study and I learn new truths and I apply those truths to relationships, I become like him. We become like Jesus when we do the things he did the way he did them. We'll pick up with that next week. God, it, it's overwhelming to think that that's your desire for our lives. Just saying the word maturity makes it a little easier. You want us to mature. But God, what a, a daunting task to think that you want us to become like your son who was perfect. And God, we'll never be perfect. We all know that. Father, I pray that our lives on this earth will not be spent in vain. But our time on earth with whatever is left, that we will make the most of every opportunity. That we will consider you to be Lord. That we will live our lives the way that you would live our lives if you were us. God, we know that you purposely sent your son at a time where he selected some followers. They watched how he did life. 
And at the end of his earthly journey, he said, go and do the same thing. So, Father, I pray over LifeBridge right now that that, that will, will be us. And maybe we're not ready to take that very step of entering into discipling relationships. But, God, I do pray, I beg, that there will be a desire within us to be in a committed relationship where we are loving you with the entirety of who we are and we are, love, we are loving our neighbors as we do ourselves. And ultimately, loving one another as you loved us. God, I pray that that, that is what we walk out of here with today. Knowing that the enemy is going to try to disrupt that. Knowing that our busy schedules, all the other things that we commit to, Lord, are going to try to disrupt that very thing. So, God, may we walk out of here, and may we live life the way Jesus lived life. Amen.